Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start today with the big development in BC politics last night. So it is official now. Say goodbye to the BC Liberal Party. Say hello to BC United. That is the new official name of the Liberal Party. Not the Liberal Party anymore. It is BC United now. They had the big kickoff of that last night, including the reveal of the new party logo for BC United. I got some clips here of Kevin Falcon, the BC United leader to play here for you. Let's discuss now with my guest, Mabel Elmore, NDP MLA. And I'm grateful Mabel could make the time. Mabel, thanks for coming on this morning. Good morning, Mike. Okay, thanks for doing this. So let's talk about BC United. Tell me your thoughts on this new party name, are you guys worried about this new name here for your main opponents? Sure, Mike. Well, look, changing the party name uh, doesn't change uh, what Kevin Falcon has done and his record. Uh, we know that uh, while in government, Kevin Falcon uh, ripped up health care workers' contracts. And uh, what was the impact on people? These were women who were disproportionately affected, uh, racialized workers, uh, devastated the lives of these workers and their families. I know a lot of these folks. Um, his record, they ripped up um, these contracts. They were working for a livable wage. They lost their pensions. We know that these are the workers that are on the front lines cleaning hospitals, uh, preparing meals for patients, and um, with their wages cut, lost pensions, and privatized these services out to multinational companies for profit. So... That's the record, and, um, you know, from before and after, a new change isn't going to change that. So do you think they're trying to make the public forget about their record by changing their name? Well, that uh, Kevin Falcon was in government, and yeah. uh, that's his record, what he stands for. You know, uh, as transportation minister, he, he brought in bridge tolls and thought mm. that that was a good idea. So that's, um, you know, his record. Okay, let's listen to a couple of clips here of what he had to say last night at this big launch of this new party, new party name anyway. BC United is the new name of the BC Liberal Party. So here is BC United leader Kevin Falcon last night going right after the NDP here in this speech and the NDP government. Let's have a listen. I'll get your thoughts. The NDP has taken more of your tax dollars than ever. They've spent more of your money than has ever been spent before. They've more than doubled the provincial debt to over $100 billion in the five and a half short years that they've been there, leaving that debt to our children and grandchildren to pay off. Okay, NDP MLA Mabel Elmore, what do you say to him? What I say to Kevin Falcon is uh, maybe he should remember back when he was finance minister and how he handed uh, giveaways to big corporations. British Columbians might remember there was a huge surplus in ICBC. He raided it. Uh, and what did he do? He also hiked ICBC rates, uh, as well hiked uh, MSP premiums, and um, along with bridge tolls, and uh, for to pay for big tax breaks. So that's his record working for corporations those at the top, and British Columbians have to pay for it. And I think British Columbians remember that. 
Okay. He also talked a lot about crime last night in this speech he gave at this rally to kick off this new party name. And as we talked just off the top here, we saw the stabbing death on that Surrey bus this week of this of this 17-year-old. We see the, the mayhem going on in Nanaimo. We'll talk about later on the show today. This is happening in, in a lot of different cities. And Kevin Falcon right last night going right after that. So here he is describing a, a family in, in Kelowna, and also criticizing the government here. Let's have a listen, and I'll get your thoughts. Kevin Falcon last night. And I also hear other families, like Melanie and her young son, who are afraid to go into downtown Kelowna because of the increasing, almost seemingly on a daily basis, increasing levels of violent crime. By the way, a community where last year 15 individuals were arrested over a thousand times and put back onto the streets under David Eby's catch and release policy. It is a shame. Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC United Party, speaking last night. My guest is NDP MLA Mabel Elmar. Mabel, what do you say to these attacks on when it comes to violence and and the criminal justice system in our province? I I think the government's going to have to get used to these, uh, these criticisms from this party. Your thoughts? Well, Mike, uh, a name change doesn't uh, impact. What's the record of Kevin Falcon? When he was in government, he cut victim services. And Premier Evie and our government have increased uh, victim services. As well, uh, Kevin Falcon cut services to sexual assault centers. And Premier Evie, our government, has uh, increased uh, funding and support for victims of uh, sexual assault and also building transition homes. And in terms of these terrible attacks uh, that's happening, uh, our government has taken steps to support the police, to allow them to do their job, investing uh, in um, uh, violent uh, offender uh, teams to address these, and also more resources to police. So uh, Kevin Falcon's uh, record to cut these services, our government has funded them and are putting um, services in place to deal with uh, these these terrible circumstances. Okay, BC United leader Kevin Falcon last night also talking about the, uh, the trauma of overdose drug deaths in our province, the unchecked mental illness and drug addiction we're seeing on the streets. Let's have a listen to what he had to say last night on that point. Here is the BC United leader Kevin Falcon last night, then I'll get your thoughts. In British Columbia, the drug overdose death rates have been the highest they've ever been in the history of this province. And yet government is turning its back on children like Ryan that need their help to get the treatment that they deserve. I've also talked to families, Mabel, who have said they've got family members who are addicted to drugs. They're trying to get them into treatment. They go to speak to a doctor. They go to speak to the health authority and they're told there's a long waiting list. Your thoughts? Absolutely. It's a crisis. Our government has taken unprecedented action. We have brought in a mental health and addiction ministry and put in a plan which uh, did not exist under Kevin Falcon. As well, uh, Kevin Falcon's record, they deregulated the whole industry. And we're bringing in standardized um, supports and services and uh, have added over 3,000 treatment beds. More needs to be done. Supporting police on the front lines in terms of uh, peer-supported and social workers to address and uh, engage folks who want to get out of uh, addictions and and out of that cycle, and uh, expanding uh, homes and and services for youth. So the record of Kevin Falcon in terms of 
not dealing with uh, addictions uh, is is um, is uh, apparent. Okay, what? Who would you ra- last question for you? Yeah. Who would you rather run against in the next election? Would you rather run against a candidate from the BC Liberal Party or a candidate from this new name party, BC United? Like, if you had your choice, would you have preferred that it stuck with the old label, BC Liberals? Mike, look, uh, they've changed their name. They yeah. uh, can't change uh, their legacy or their uh, record. And uh, we know that whatever they call themselves, uh, that Kevin Falcon uh, hasn't changed. He continues as opposition and leader to oppose, for example, the housing plan, opposing last week the uh, Premier Eby's uh, uh, policy to allow homeowners to build three to four uh, homes, uh, uh, units uh, on their properties. And so he's um, the same as uh, in government, as uh, leader now. And uh, so whatever they call themselves, they can't, uh, you know, their record, clearly, Kevin Falcon's working for those at the top, and uh, the BCNDP were committed to uh, working for people. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about the spasm of violence we're seeing on our transit system now, especially in the city of Surrey. Two stabbings in April, including the fatal stabbing this week of teenager Ethan Bestflag. I've got Ramona Captain standing by to discuss first. Have a listen to this report from Global News reporter Emily Lazatin. It's the second stabbing this month on a public bus in the city of Surrey. The latest incident happened right here, just across the King George Skytrain station. And the latest victim, just 17 years old. Tuesday night, just before 9.30, officers were called to King George Boulevard and 100th Avenue. Police say two people had an altercation while riding the bus. What about or how it started, we don't know. On arrival, police found a 17-year-old suffering from stab wounds. It's not safe. You catch these people, then they're right out in the streets again. There's no justice here. Not be happening on our transit system. How how does it make you feel, though? Well, that concerns me because I'm a man with disability, right? And, of course, you know, I mean, um, how am I supposed to get away? Let's discuss now with my guest, Ramona Captain. Ramona is a seniors advocate in Surrey. She is with the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Very pleased to welcome her to the show. Ramona, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, Ramona, what goes through your mind here? We see this violence on our transit system. We have these two stabbings this month on, on the same bus route, including this, uh, this young person losing his life this week. Your thoughts? Yes, well, my CARP members are very concerned about safety in Surrey, and uh, many of them have been talking about it for a long time, you know, before all this violence happened. And uh, many now take public, they they don't take public transit, they're carpooling, or they're traveling in groups. And uh, I know exactly how this feels, because back in Toronto a while ago, I was at a conference, and uh, I was traveling by subway wearing a fake fur coat. Uh, a bunch of girls started yelling at me and calling me names. Now, I understand they thought I was wearing real fur, but it was really frightening. So I just waited until they got on the subway and took the next train. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were a few people around. Um, it, it just didn't feel safe. And here in Surrey a few weeks ago, 
I was traveling by SkyTrain into Vancouver, and there was a homeless man sleeping on the SkyTrain. Of course, he looked very harmless, but, I mean, he was asleep. If he was, you know, um, uh, shaken awake or something, who who knows? Now, um, I was kidnapped in Bangladesh. I was mugged in Malaysia. So, um, you know, I'm 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 very aware of how how this this feels. It's very very frightening, especially for older people. But um, for my members, all of this safety thing started back in 2018 when uh, the new Surrey Police uh, Service was announced, and I started getting many calls asking me, "Hey, what's up? What's going on? We don't really know too much about this." And then, of course, there was all the uh, talk about, well, there weren't enough boots on the ground. We didn't have enough SPS. How was this going to happen? So on behalf of my members, I wrote to Minister Farnworth, the Minister of Safety, and um, I got a reply back from his office saying that I should speak to Mayor McCallum, who was the mayor at the time. Because uh, they said, well, it's a municipal issue. Well, that was a big laugh because whenever I called into uh, Surrey Council meetings during McCallum's time, he, he would hang up on me. Uh, same thing happened with the police board's Melissa Granham, who constantly stonewalled me and, and my CART members. So, I mean, we know there's still a shortage of cops in Surrey, both the SPS and RCMP. And uh, my members keep asking, well, what the heck is Farnworth doing? Why isn't he making a decision? Like, what is going on? There is a long, there's certainly been a long delay in making a decision about the future of of policing in, in the city of Surrey. Hopefully we get that decision soon. When you talk about the number of police officers in Surrey, I think this is a concern for a lot of people and with the violence that we're seeing on the transit system right now there are concerns do we have enough security on the buses do we have enough security on the transit system as a whole have a listen here to the head of the transit workers union here on the recent violence that we're seeing on our system ramona then i'll get your thoughts let's listen why are there no transit police riding on the buses in the lower mainland we think it's a simple solution if it takes more resources and so be it Okay, do you think we need more police officers on the transit system? Well, I have never seen one. I think when I first came to Surrey in 2009, I did see some lovely transit police who I didn't know how to use the system, so he gave me a slip of paper saying that, you know, I could just ride it with this slip of paper all day. I was with my sister. We thought it was a VIP pass. It turns out it was for people who couldn't afford to ride, um, which was very nice. But honestly, I have never seen anyone since then. Um, I ride the bus sometimes and uh, the the SkyTrain. Um, seriously, I I don't see any presence. Now, EB's announcing, you know, there are going to be hubs in, in all areas of BC and one in Surrey. There is going to be great uh, safety measures taken. Well, you know, like, does it take stabbings to do this? What the heck have yeah. they been doing for the last four years? How did McCallum get to, to institute a Surrey police service with no real plan? We don't know what the darn plan is. Now, don't get Get me started on the catch and release, which is another humongous concern. Uh, when offenders are caught, they're just allowed to to go out on the street again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my members are constantly, constantly worried about this. And then to top it all off, 
There's so much divisiveness going on at all levels of government. For example, um, we have Councillor Linda Annis, who back in 2019 gave me reams and reams and reams of information about how to keep the RCMP in Surrey because, um, you know, we did a lot with Crime Stoppers with, with her organization. Um, I still have that paper. It, it's pages. It's in ink. What the heck has made her change her mind now? The rumor mill is just totally rampant. Are there backroom deals going on? We are so sick of this. Totally okay. sick of divisive politics. Last and don't quest- get me started on, on federal. And, and uh, you know, it just seems to be everywhere. What's wrong with our government? Ramona, we have one minute left here. What would you say, what are Surrey seniors telling you about the violence that we're seeing in the transit system? Or do, do seniors feel safe on the transit system right now? I just got a minute here. No, they don't. They want Premier Eby and Minister Farnworth to make a decision. We need better health care. We, we, uh, we, we need better mental health care. Uh, this is not something that, you know, all of a sudden needs to be done. We know this has had, had to be done for years now, and it's like promises, promises, promises. We need homes for homeless, better mental health care, more addiction treatment centers, more places like Robin's Nest, the Fortress. My friend Cole Isaac runs those. He's having problems with bylaws. Um, I mean, there are solutions. They're out there. It's not rocket science. Just make a policing decision. You know, approve more recovery centers. Get help for those who need it. Fix health care now. Ramona, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, let's keep talking about this stabbing death now of teenager Ethan Bestflag stabbed to death on a Surrey bus on Tuesday night. He was just one stop away from meeting his mom. Have a listen to his aunt here, Andrea Vandergracht. He texted his mom and said, there's some kids threatening me, and I'm scared. And that was the last text that he got out. I think he knew who they were because they lived in the same neighborhood, but was not associated with them in any way. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Jack Hundal, former Surrey City Councillor. Jack is also a former police officer. Appreciate him coming on today. Jack, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Mike. Okay, Jack, first let's talk a little bit about Ethan Bestflag here, the 17-year-old stabbed to death on a Surrey bus on Tuesday night, second stabbing on a Surrey bus this month. Jack, you're a police officer for many years. I know you've seen a lot of trauma trauma up close and families shattered by these kind of tragedies. What can you say about the shock and grief this family must be suffering right now as a 17-year-old kid loses his life here? Uh, you know what? First of all, you know, really my, my heart and condolence go to, to the family of not just, um, you know, uh, of the recent uh, violence we've seen here with the stabbing, uh, the, you know, the ones previous uh, to the first responders, to the witnesses on scene, and people that have to deal with adrenaline in society. And honestly, the, the fear that this has now risen for people that are using our transit system every day. And really, my, my heart goes out to those individuals because uh, to witness something like this is not something that we see in Canada, um, you know, uh, nowadays. Uh, and it is really, really uh, upsetting for a lot of people um, to uh, to see this, and we're seeing these sort of spikes uh, in Surrey. We're seeing it in the U.S. We saw last week. We saw it in Vancouver, where uh, you know there was another tragedy for another family, seeing a family member um, killed right before them. Yeah. So, yeah, th- th- this is this is you know what 
it's not acceptable, first of all. Let's put it that way. It's not acceptable in today's day and age in our society when we know what some of these causes may be for us to be dealing with this um, really on such, such a scale that we are seeing now. These are not one-off isolated incidents. It's happening uh, as a common sense. What can you say about the situation we're seeing on our transit system here, not just in Surrey, but in other parts of Metro Vancouver? So you got this teenage kid stabbed on a bus, Mm -hmm. second stabbing on a bus this month. On Monday night, there was a stabbing at the Columbia Skytrain station, uh, police searching for suspects there. Also on Monday at the Lowheed station, a transit police officer gets punched in the face trying to arrest a man who was causing a disturbance. Uh, Of course, on, on April 1st, we had that... That guy gets his throat slashed on a bus in Surrey. What is going on in the transit system here? What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing talking to colleagues in, in law enforcement over on the, on the court side is, is two things. First of all, um, we need to identify what some of the causes are for this. Are these prolific offenders? Uh, are these people that are suffering from, from um, withdrawal from drug addiction, damage from overuse of drug addiction and fentanyl? Because uh, we are seeing that as well in other cases. Are we seeing a lack of resource being pulled back? Um, or has it just become a general apathy? Look, after COVID, we got a lot more people on transit. Uh, what's changing in the culture there? Because something has changed, but we need to figure out and find out exactly what it is. Um, you know, not every person entering onto a transit system uh, is fully, uh, you know, I, I think, um, uh, feels safe and comfortable uh, with that. The, the second big piece of this also is what are we doing now? Um, and I talk about not only for, for police, but I'm also talking about for the court system. Because if you look at some of the suspects in these incidents, uh, they have a uh, fairly long and extensive history uh, in the court system and police interactions. So really, I think one of the key players that's missing from this conversation really is the court system. Yeah. Um, and, and we talk about this all the time in different types of, of, of incidents, whether it's violence on transit or violence in, in communities is there's this big gaping uh, absence from judges, uh, you know, help explain to the public what the sentencing is. Explain that to us. We have great enforcement in this country all around. We really do. And we have great after-court processes. But that gap seems to be in the middle there. Like, where is this thinking coming from, from the court system? Uh, And I will be critical of the court system here because enough is enough. People are upset. People are scared. And you know what? Be accountable. Answer for it. You know, um, Minister Farnworth, answer for it. Let us know what, what is happening. You're, ob- you're obviously frustrated, and I know you talk to a lot of, of police officers after your own career in law mm-hmm. enforcement. Is this a frustrating situation for police who are, are trying to catch these guys and put them away and put them behind bars? You know, there's some great uh, uh, prolific offender programs. I know Vancouver runs a great program. Surrey runs a great program. And now the province has sort of stepped up and said, hey, we want to run a prolific offender program as well, where we bring together not only police, uh, the Crown prosecutors, uh, we bring in the, the corrections piece afterwards, we bring in the probation piece. That's great. Um, but my, I pivot back to that gap in the middle. Why are these people on the street? Yeah. They have a propensity to violence. Look, it's, they're not in their own car. We're cramming them into, into, into small enclosed spaces um, that people can't even leave from. <laughs> you can't jump off a bus. You can't jump off a SkyTrain. Uh, when things like this happen, people need to get away. Yeah. So this is really unique. Um, and first and foremost, it's the public safety. It's also our, our transit operators. It's the staff out there. It's, it's the drivers. How many times do you hear of, of assaults against cab drivers or uh, transit operators? 
You know, people in the street, we just had a transit officer got slashed a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Speaking, speaking of that, we see the union for Surrey bus drivers asking for increased uh, police presence. Police patrols will be stepped up at transit hubs after this recent fatal stabbing here of this young man. What what else do you think needs to be done in order to increase safety and security on the transit system here? I think we give some of that responsibility back to the transit drivers. Those are our eyes and ears on the front and say, look, we're receiving service because I don't feel comfortable this person getting on. And I know it's, it's a, we live in a society, so what's in the greater good here? Is we bring that authority back to our operators to say, you know what, uh, for these reasons, our operator didn't feel uh, comfortable putting this person on a bus. And I know it goes against some people's thinking, we're being excluding people, but let's look at the overall safety for people. That's, I think, one of the key things we need to look at right away. And as far as the, the police presence there, um, <clears throat> that also needs to come with uh, the, the tools for the police to deal with these individuals when they do encounter them there. And by that, I mean, let's have the resources there for them. And let's follow through. Let's ban people off transit system. Mm. Look, if you can't play nicely or behave nicely, you shouldn't be allowed to use that. Jack, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts. I appreciate it a lot. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Let's talk electric vehicles now. Lots of people looking to get into an EV for their next vehicle. Our family is doing that. We got the old honda minivan just keeps plugging along just refuses to die this this old tank we have one of these days i guess it'll pack it in and we have thought about getting an electric vehicle and the next vehicle we get and why not lots of people have thought about that especially with sky high gas prices and inflation the way it is right now why not get into an electric vehicle now here's the issue availability and price a lot of these vehicles are difficult to find there's waiting lists for them and they're expensive as well check this out here now a recent survey from auto trader that's canada's largest automotive marketplace says interest in EVs has actually gone down a bit after last year's spike in demand. Lots of people looking for EVs in the last year as gas prices went up. Is the demand for electric vehicles starting to soften a little bit? I've got Barra Shakurik standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to John Stonier here from the Electric Vehicle Owners Association on an earlier show. It's a very sweet deal to have an electric car, and uh, these electric car owners today are all silently smiling. <laughs> okay, so he says if you got an EV, uh, you're very happy these days, especially with gas prices the way they are. Let's discuss now with my guest, Barish Akurek. Barish is the director of analytics at autotrader.ca, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Barish, it's nice to have you on again. Hi, Mike. Nice to nice, nice being here. Thanks for the invite. You bet. Thanks for doing it. So let's talk about the demand now for electric vehicles and the analytics that you guys do at Auto Trader. I always find really, really interesting. You guys have got your finger on the pulse here of this market. What did you find out here when it's for Canadians who are considering considering an electric vehicle? Yeah, no, if you're interested in uh, data and research, uh, definitely the uh, Right place to talk about uh, this stuff. We do a, we do a lot of a uh, lot of uh, analysis, a lot of research to understand what's happening. And as you suggested, we recently ran this uh, survey 
uh, on the site uh, last month to understand whether there has been any changes in um, ED consideration levels. And uh, what we found was that the consideration levels have come down a little bit, uh, Mike. So last year, it was uh, uh, 68%, uh, being that 68% of consumers said that, yeah, for their next vehicle, they, will, they would consider an EV. And this year, it came down to 56%. So now there, now there are a couple of reasons behind this. Uh, a, uh, if you remember uh, last year, March, the situation in, in Ukraine had just started. Therefore, uh, the, there was a big uh, increase in uh, overall gas prices. And I think yeah, on average, it went up, uh, it was over $2 a liter. Uh, and we came to work uh, right after that happened and then looked at uh, our, our analytics. And then what we saw was that you know, there was a huge increase in uh, electric vehicle searches and leads uh, that were sent to dealers. So, and uh, further analysis suggested that there's a direct correlation between what's happening with gas prices and, and EV interest. So now let's roll forward the year. Uh, obviously, the situation is a little different uh, with the gas prices. They've come down a little bit, although they're still on the higher side. But in addition to all of this, the macroeconomic environment has changed uh, by quite a bit. Uh, wow. So, you know, with interest rates and where they are and inflation concerns. Uh, so, um, as you know, as you alluded to in the beginning of the call, EVs tend to be uh, uh, on the higher side when it comes to pricing. So these are the high level two, two drivers, we believe, as to what's going on in terms of the uh, decline in consideration levels. Yeah, okay, that's very interesting to to see that trend here now. And yeah, we've got that double whammy here right now with interest rates going up, inflation going up. So it's it's a difficult market. And then you've got the prices for electric vehicles as well. Like I remember checking out some electric vehicles. I think I was looking at autotrader.ca as a matter of fact and yeah, some of the prices are high. If you could find one, what are the what are the prices like right now? Are you st- if the demand is softening a little bit? Are you seeing the prices come down a little bit, or is it still a, is it still an expensive proposition to get into an EV? Yeah. So so consider so let me clarify one thing. So consider consideration levels have come down a little bit, but overall the demand is still uh, out there. As yeah. you know, there. Um, uh, federal mandates to hit by 2026, 2030, and 2035. So the demand is out there. So when it comes to prices, uh, overall EVs are uh, uh, more expensive than their ICE counterparts. So um, that's that's the fact. But on the other hand, uh, if you're following the uh, EV market closely, you'll know that um, especially Tesla, the, the Tesla prices have come down quite a bit in the last while. Um, Elon Musk has been uh, reducing uh, new new Tesla prices uh, for the last uh, three three and a half months. And when we looked at the data to understand the impact of this on the used market, we saw a similar decline. So, looking at uh, March data, uh, we are seeing a 12.7 percent decline in uh, on a year-over-year basis in EV prices in on in general. Mm. But the average price of an EV now in Canada is $55,000. So having said that, in terms of like overall availability, there's there's, uh, lots of availability, lots of of cars. Uh, Right before this call, I checked our uh, inventory levels, 
and there are almost 20,000 uh, electric vehicles on autotrader.ca. And in BC specifically, uh, it's just over 3,000 cars. So if you're interested in one and if you're looking for one, uh, there are tons of availability out there. Okay, well, that's very interesting to hear. I guess the availability could, could it depend on the model you're looking for? Like I spoke to a buddy of mine recently who wanted to get into a, a Toyota SUV EV very popular model and he went to the local Toyota dealership and said sure we'll sell you one of these but you got to go on a waiting list I, I think he told me he's like waiting over a year before he gets the thing like is that still common out there a wait to get an, into a new vehicle yeah so overall the uh, new cars the new car availability situation has been improving since August of 2022 uh, there are more and more cars coming to the market which is obviously good for good for consumers but on the other hand, uh, you need to look at it at the OEM level, at the brand level. So as you suggested, certain brands, they still don't have the availability. But on the other hand, some other brands have tons of availability. So it depends on what you're looking for, what kind of brand and what kind of model you're looking for. You might uh, see some sort of like wait list and, and waiting, uh, but that's the, uh, that's the situation right now. Yeah. Which, which brands of EVs would you say are in the highest highest demand right now so uh, looking at our own data so i'm going to give you a couple of a uh, couple of facts from our um again uh, q1 of 2023 top searched uh, ev making models so yeah. the top four is uh, all teslas so tesla model 3 is on the top followed by y and then s and then the x models and after the Teslas, the fifth is Ford F-150 Lightning. Uh, the sixth one is Honda CRV Hybrid. Uh, and after that, there are two BMWs, the BMW i4 and iX. And the last two in the top 10 are uh, Tucson Hybrid, the Hyundai, and Honda Accord Hybrid. Okay. Very interesting. What What is your, okay, last question for you, Baraj. What is your outlook here in 2023 for this market? Do you expect, uh, you expect demand to remain pretty strong for EVs? Yeah, I think it's going to stay pretty strong. Again, there are some uncertainties in the market, but uh, looking at our uh, Q1 um, data, both used and new, things are looking up. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty strong um, quarter. And we expect that, you know, again, there are some uncertainties, but I, we don't expect any big changes in the market. Um, yeah, no, things, okay. are, things are looking good for the overall automotive market as a whole. Arsh, it's always very interesting to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Okay, let's talk about some of the scams and ripoffs that are out there. These scammers are getting smarter. They're always coming up with new ways to steal your identity, empty your bank account, rip you off any way they can. I think most of us have gotten wise to a lot of these scams. I know I can usually recognize a scam email right away, and I get them every day. But here's the problem. These scammers, they're like evil geniuses. They're always coming up with new ways to rip you off, steal your identity. How about juice jacking? Juice jacking. Now, this happens when you plug your cell phone into a public charging station. This is dangerous, too, now? Oh, great. 
Let's discuss now with my guest, Carmi Levy. Carmi is a technology analyst and reporter. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Carmi. Great to be back, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. It's always awesome to have you on here. So let me ask you this. What is juice jacking? What is that? So we all know, you know, we, we're out and about. We're either taking a plane somewhere. We're at the mall. We're in a public place. We're away from home, away from uh, where we would normally charge our phones. And wouldn't you know it, our batteries are starting to die. So we look for a place to charge them up. And, you know, most public places have charging stations. You know, there are cables kind of hanging out of walls or places where you can plug in your adapter. Uh, and so you don't really think anything of it. Just plug in and go and wait a few minutes, and now you've got battery. The problem here is is that is that uh, you know, hackers know this. Cyber criminals know that we're going to plug in there, and they've figured out ways to compromise those USB ports. In other words, tamper with them so that when we plug our phones into them, they don't just charge our devices. They also install malware on our devices. And, of course, that malware can do all sorts of things. It can, it can capture our keystrokes, so get our usernames and our passwords. It can steal our data, whatever the payload is. But basically, all because we wanted to charge up our phones at the mall, well, now our phones are infected with some really nasty virus, and we've got an even bigger problem. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we're talking about a USB port when you plug in. This is not like plugging your wall into an electrical outlet or your, your phone yeah. into an electrical outlet. This is a yeah, USB the, port. Precisely. The real risk is, is when, it's a, when, it, when it's a USB port. So, you know, and in many cases, there will even be a cable there. So how convenient there's a cable there. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but, you know, but of course, either the plug has been doctored, and it's kind of like when we, you know, when we get gas, we've all been conditioned to look at the machine because you know that those card swipe devices can be compromised too. It's kind of the same thinking. They've, they've played with the USB port, hard to see, but as soon as you plug it in, that circuitry is hoovering your data or they've, they've got circuitry in the cable. So it is a, it's a, basically a malevolent cable. And then that circuitry is what allows them to sniff your data. Uh, and from uh. the moment that you plug in, you've been had. Oh my God! Okay, these scammers. I, oh, these guys are the yeah, worst. Right. These scammers mm-hmm. they keep coming up with this stuff. So, like you describe, you know, a charging station at the mall, which I guess for a lot of places, this is like a public service. This is a convenience for customers, people coming into a mall. So it's not the yeah. mall's fault, right? It's like these scammers. Someone's gone in there, like a scammer has gone into the mall, and they've 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 doctored this this USB port, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm certainly not blaming my local mall for, uh, you know, getting malware on my device. But, you know, there's only so much security to go around and the security guards can't sort of police the charging stations 24-7. So presumably when someone wasn't looking, someone was able, you know, the hacker was able to kind of walk up to the device and uh, and either exchange it for something else or install the hardware or just plug in one of those cables that has the circuitry built into it and they're very hard to tell from legitimate usb ports and legitimate cables so you know exactly so you're victimized as the person who owns the phone and the mall is victimized or the airport is victimized or the office building is victimized because they were trying to do us a, a solid a good deed by making charging ports available and now they've been compromised too Right. Okay. So let's say you're in the unfortunate situation where you've fallen for one of these. Like, what can they possibly do? Like, they, you said they, I think they install malware on your phone. Is that yeah. typically what they do? 
Exactly. So it's like it's like a stealth piece of software. Malware literally means bad software. And basically, it's software that hackers use to do all sorts of stuff. Malware can do you know different things depending on how it's designed. Generally speaking, the malware that we see in cases like this is what's known as a keylogger. So what it does is it essentially it stealthily looks over our shoulder and it captures our key presses. So it knows our user IDs, it knows our passwords, our email addresses, all that stuff that we use to sign into systems. And then very quietly, it sends it back to the mothership. So it's harvesting this information, it's, it's sending it off to the hackers themselves. And then so you don't really know that you've been had initially, but over time, they're going to use that information to log into your Google account, log into your bank account, log into all your other accounts, uh, and essentially clean them out or do all sorts of other things. You may find yourself receiving a lot more phishing emails, identity theft attempts, uh, all because they now have very uh, personal information from you that they were able to vacuum up from your phone. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so juice jacking is what we're talking about here now. How can you avoid falling for this scam? I guess just don't charge your phone up at these public charging stations? Yeah, that's the good news, Mike, is the solution here is fairly simple. And if you want to be absolutely safe, then just never plug your device into anything out in public. Uh, instead, bring your own, uh, you know, battery backups. Those, you know, batteries that you buy for a few bucks at, at the electronics store. Just charge it up before you leave the house. Bring your cable with you as well, and then pop it into your bag or your backpack. And then yeah. you always have a way to charge your phone with you. And you don't have to stand by the wall at the mall or at the airport. It's just always on your person. It's a little bit of extra weight, but I, I always keep a few of them sort of handy. I throw them into my backpack and I use them all the time. That way you're controlling the hardware. No one is able to compromise it for you. If that you know doesn't work for you, if you don't want to be carrying these things around, you can use. So first thing is never plug into a strange USB port. Instead, uh, if you can bring your adapter with you, so bring the actual charging block as well as your cable, you're okay if you plug it into uh, the AC port. In other words, the 120-volt port that you would plug in any other electrical device. They yeah. can't compromise that. It's only electricity. So, so if you have that, if you bring the charging block and, the ca- and your own cable, you can plug it into any electrical outlet and you're okay. And if you want to be even safer, go buy yourself what's called a no-data transfer cable. So basically, it looks like a regular USB cable, but it only allows power to go through. It does not support data transfer. Um, that's kind of one way. Now, of course, it's a little, 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 little less useful, but also a little less likely that someone's going to compromise it, and certainly they're not going to be getting data through it. Okay, it's all very interesting and some really good advice there. And it always seems to me, every time I talk to you, Carmi, about this stuff, it's almost like a, like an arms race. It's like these scammers are coming up with new ways all the time, and and the people who are fighting back, like guys like yourself, are, are trying to find ways to, to fight to fight against it. What are authorities doing about this juice jacking? Because I know, like, I just did a Google search on it, and this is big. Like, the FBI has been all over this in the States, right? Yeah, I, and I think, uh, you know, superpower arms race is probably the perfect way to describe it. It's almost like this never-ending battle. Right. New technologies are improved that protect us, and then the bad guys figure it away around it, and back and forth we go. Um, so really, the, you know, the, the law enforcement, spearheaded by the FBI, they really have led the global effort to do this, is uh, they've been watching this carefully for much of the past decade as it's evolved, and they've been issuing warnings, and they issue them fairly regularly. 
um, just to remind us of how important this is and remind us of how much of how risky public charging ports are. Um, and of course, now it's becoming even more so because most of us are returning to something of a normal life. We're getting out of the house more as the pandemic starts to move more into our rear view. And we're, we're, we're plugging in more. Our phones are on the go more often. So hackers know this. The FBI is watching this. They're seeing the number of reports go up and they're reminding us uh, that this continues to evolve. We're, we're continuing to see them sort of figure out new ways to tap into our phones when we're out and about. Um, start by not charging in, in unfamiliar areas. And then also watch your wireless uh, settings on your phone. You know, when you go to the mall, you go to a public place and says, do you want to connect to a Wi-Fi network? Just turn Wi-Fi off when you're out of the house. Only use your cell phone network because hackers know that that rogue Wi-Fi network's another great way to get your information. And it's another what we like to call vector for an attack. So, you know, between charging and Wi-Fi, you've got yourself covered. But you do have to make sure that you know the settings and that you're aware of that before you leave the house. Lots of great advice as usual. Carmi, thanks for coming on today. Wonderful being here, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.